That was good. Thank you. Very good. All right. We're going to go to uh, Luke chapter 11 tonight. Luke chapter 11. Hey, Brother Mike, I didn't ask you about this, but um, I, I thought about doing a trivial question thing, and correct answers would get a freebie from the snack shop. I'm willing to pay for it. Okay, coffee or a snack shop. Would I be allowed to do that? Okay. Uh, my name's Rich. I'm not, so we won't have too many questions, but there'll be a few. All right. Okay. So trivia. So you get the answers right to the good questions. They're the tough questions. Uh, you might get a free either drink at the snack shop or at the Bayou Beans. Okay. So we'll start out. This is a warm-up question. This is not one of those that you're going to get. Uh, write it down. You'll write it down. Okay. You're the judge. All right. I'll be the judge. Oh, no, you'll be the judge of that. Okay. Oh, by the way, when we were singing about standing before the bar one day, you all understood that, right? Some of you probably thought, there's a bar in heaven? <laughs> not that kind, okay? Uh, that's the judgment bar of the Lord. And so it will not be a Sunday school picnic. Every day, everybody gives account of himself to God. Thankfully, we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not going to be punished for our sins. But we do give account. And uh, that'll be a sobering reality when you think about standing before the Lord. Okay, that being said, uh, warm-up question. I just had you turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke is one of three Gospels in the Bible called Synoptic. Good, warm-up question. Now, here's how you can earn the uh, freebie. What does Synoptic mean? And explain it to me. Oh, look at the hands everywhere now. Okay. Yeah, I think he was first, but we'll see if he can get it since he initiated this. Synoptic. Synoptic, yeah. Okay, the way you view things, sin, what not, this is S-Y-N, not bad, evil, devil. Ah, oh, very good, sin optic, yeah, the same, he said, to see it the same, this, that's, is that right? Yeah, that's good, how many of you knew that? Okay, so what's your name? Thomas, Thomas what? Hogan. Thomas Hogan, Hogan's Heroes, okay, so Thomas is my hero, he got that one right. All right, so, another question. Let's see, this was from the message on who is Jesus. Ah, okay, simple, this is your introductory question, this will qualify you to get the freebie. But the simple question is, what did I call the Mount Everest of the Bible? I think I saw the girl in the Southland sweatshirt back here. Yeah, you. Okay, John 3.16, so that qualified you. Yeah, Alright, now, would you quote for me the verse, and can you tell me, how that verse was significant in my own life as I shared that from my testimony today. So can you quote that verse? Perfect. Good job. And? Whew. That's good. You remember more than I do about it. No, I remember that. That's very good. She said your dad showed it to you when you were 10. And that's how I was led to Christ. That's exactly right. Okay, so what's your name? Mackenzie. You got Mackenzie? Okay, good. All right, one more, because I'm going to go broke. No, nah, I don't think I'll go broke. Okay, let's see. Um, let me go to the message today in chapel, uh, afternoon chapel, and uh, I called it, um, well, okay, introductory. What did I call it? This will qualify you to answer the uh, question I'm about to ask. What did I call this afternoon's message? You're right. Okay, so you qualify. All right, so there were a couple questions. What passage of Scripture did we go to? And there were two key phrases that uh, were daily disciplines we were looking at for you and me. So what was the section of Scripture 
You're right, one through, do you remember? It's fine, you're qualified, but that's fine. You're right, First Timothy 4, 1 through 8, okay, so you're in. All right, and then there were two key phrases that I used to talk about daily disciplines that we should engage in. What were they? Or what were the two concepts? You know, spiritually speaking, we should do what? Okay, that's good. You did a great job. Okay. Um, somebody's going to piggyback off you, so we'll have to do... You know what we'll do? You're going to get half of this, okay, with somebody. Oh, him? This is like phone a friend. Do you all remember like back when there was phone a friend? Okay. Okay, friend, what were the two phrases? Nourish and work out. That's right. Get nourishment. Oh, work out was uh, get fed up, and then work out was exercise thyself to godliness. All right. So your name is? Riley. England? Anglin. Yeah, gotcha. And you are? Keegan and Riley. You got that, Brother Mike? All right. You guys did a great job. You didn't even know we we're going to do this. Okay, so if we do this tomorrow night, would you maybe be a little bit more motivated? Some of the sponsors are saying, what about us? Speak up. You didn't ask, okay? All right, so we are tonight going to Luke chapter 11, one of the synoptic Gospels. Luke chapter 11. I noticed today as I was looking through your uh, devotional journal that you are studying prayer. And I've got to tell you, there is hardly ever a week goes by that I don't preach on the subject of prayer at some point during my revival meetings. I want you to think about this. Somebody said around us is a world lost in sin. Above us is a God willing and able to save it is our duty to build the bridge that binds heaven and earth, and prayer is the mighty instrument that does the work. As a speaker called E.M. Bounds, he lived during the Civil War era. He used to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and pray every day. Nobody really knew who he was during his lifetime. He was a Civil War chaplain from Missouri. Uh, but after he died, people found out about him. I have a complete book of works by him on prayer, and they are outstanding. E.M. Bounds. E.M. is the initials, obviously. And uh, the man knew something about prayer because he prayed. Um, there's another, and this is one of the best quotes on prayer I've ever heard. Hint, hint, might be a good trivial question. One of the best books I've heard on prayer outside of the Bible. It's a simple sentence. A day without prayer is a boast against God. A day without prayer is a boast against God. Owen Carr. I don't know anything about Owen Carr, but I fully agree with what he said there. A day without prayer is a boast against God. In other words, it'd be like when you and I don't pray, we have in effect said, yeah, thanks Lord, I got this today. Now, would any of us ever say that to God? No, you wouldn't have the audacity to say, thanks Lord, got it, we're good. Nobody would say that. But when you do not pray, when I don't pray, that is in effect what I've said, thanks Lord, we're good. No, I'm not good. Without Him, I can do what? Yeah, John 15, 5, Jesus said, without me, you can do not a zilch, nothing. Goose egg. But I can do all things, how? Through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4.13. Yeah, so a day without prayer is a boast against God. I want you to think about this. How many of you have played sports, whether organized or just recreationally, at some point in your life? Okay. Uh, so let me go into the realm of some of you asked me today. So you talked about your coach when you are in high school. Uh, what sport? <laughs> what sport do you think I played? <laughs> Volleyball. Yeah, basketball. I played basketball. And I did play soccer and baseball because I went to the Christian school and I remember I was going to try out for the soccer team and I, I had to play football. I like American football. 
And they said, you should try out for soccer. I said, soccer, it's for sissies. Well, I never played soccer, you know. So all non-soccer players think soccer is for sissies until you go out and play and you find out that there's a reason they wear shin guards. And uh, so they said, you should come try out. And I said, oh, man, I don't want to try out for a team and get cut. They said, oh, in our school, nobody gets cut. You just try out and you're on the team, right? So I ended up playing. So I played soccer and basketball and baseball. And I, I love golf and I like football and I, I play pickleball and tennis and all that. I, I like sports, okay? I've never been great at any of them. Even at 6'6", six, six, you know, I just kind of took up space in basketball. I'm not great at basketball, but I like it. I like playing. I like activity. Okay, so think with me. Let's use basketball as an example. We're to win a retreat, and sometimes I know you guys must think, oh, man, we hear about it. read the Bible, memorize Scripture, pray. All right, you guys think with me. If you were at a basketball camp this week, what are some things you would hear emphasized in a basketball camp? I don't care if it's college level or elementary school level. What are some things they would emphasize at basketball camp? Can you tell me? Dribbling, somebody said. Shooting the proper way. Okay, follow that hand through the hoop. Okay, what else? Boosting your confidence. What? Blocking out, yeah, instead of just standing there like, I don't know, use your body, okay, block them out. So, yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, rebound. I mean, that's what I got. Well, I didn't get paid anything, but that's what I was expected to do, right? You'd be down underneath and get the ball. Okay, so if you went to basketball camp, you'd hear passing, dribbling, shooting, rebounding, blocking out, and you'd hear it over and over again. Oh, and you'd hear some things about conditioning and team morale and all that. But I'm going to tell you, you're not going to basketball camp without hearing about passing, dribbling, shooting, blocking out, rebounding. Why are you shocked we come to Christian camp? We're going to hear about reading the Bible and praying and witnessing and memorizing Scripture. Because if you're going to succeed in your walk with God, you've got to do the things that enable you to walk with God. As you're prone to say, duh. But you know, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? And yet, guess what? So often, Satan has gotten you and me to fail in the very things that are basic essentials in the Christian life. I want to speak to you about prayer, and I'm going to do a two-part message tonight and tomorrow morning, Lord willing. I've entitled this with a simple request right out of our text, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And I will tell you, the text to which we're going tonight, for a long time I avoided this passage of Scripture. Not like I, I hated it, I just didn't want to preach on it, I didn't really want to study it. And sadly, the reason is, I told you I grew up in a very formal modernist church that did not preach the Bible. The only scripture I ever heard as a kid growing up in my United Methodist Church was the Lord's Prayer. And we stood and we said it every Sunday morning. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We sounded like robots. It sounded like a Gregorian chant. And so anytime I'd hear a preacher say, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. Oh, brother. That was my attitude. Until... Until I went to college. And God taught me something about prayer. I was already reading the Bible every day, but my whole attitude toward prayer changed. And I'll tell you, one year, it was time to wax my truck and trailer. Now, my, my trailer is, well, the trailer at that time was 40 feet long with four slide outs. And uh, I had a pickup truck then. I now have a Freightliner sport chassis to pull my, kind you see pulling horse trailers and race teams and stuff. So I, I, when you wash and wax a trailer in my world, it takes days, okay? Hand wash. So I had to do the washing, waxing, and I, I determined I'm going to listen to a sermon series this week while I'm going to be wasting, or not wasting, investing a lot of time. And I had heard a, a one-time message from a pastor from Texas that would change my life. 
Johnny Pope from Houston, Texas. How many of you ever heard Brother Pope preach? If you hear him, you'll never forget him. He's just like all over the place. But he's really, uh, he's got a lot of substance. And one thing about him, as I learned, he, he started praying as a college kid an hour a day. He'd spend an hour every day praying. And I don't, I've met him, we've talked, I don't know him super well, but I know this, his preaching on prayer changed my life. I had heard a message, he preached it up in Iowa, and a pastor said to him, Brother Pope, I know you do a seven-part series on prayer, but I want you to do a one-night preaching on prayer marathon. You take as much time as you want to preach. Well, Brother Pope was prone to go on rabbit trails and stuff, and it's always interesting. That message was an hour and 45 minutes. And I was captivated to every word. I could not stop listening to it. So I contacted his church, um, Christ Church Baptist Fellowship in, in Houston. And I said, listen, could I get the whole series, the whole seven part? And, and um, his um, secretary, Mrs. Lord, sent me, the, <laughs> the Lord who works for the Pope, uh, she sent me the, uh, the whole series of his uh, seven-part message. So this is back, just to kind of date this, this is back when I'm listening to a Walkman cassette player. Have any of you ever seen a Walkman? My nephew's like, dude, I'd love to get one of those. I mean, it's like antiquated technology, right? And we had the little fuzzy earpieces back then, so you'd click it, play, and, and so I'm listening, and I will tell you, every day, I couldn't wait for the next day, <laughs> not because I really love waxing my trailer, but I was sure learning from God. And this was the text of Scripture that he took us through, me individually through, as I'm listening to that. And I will tell you, it was transformative. I am praying that this session and tomorrow's session may be used of God to change your life. I, I cannot tell you how utterly essential prayer is to the Christian life. I was prompted as I saw you're studying it in your morning God night time, your quiet time. Today you're in Psalm 34 interesting, last week, one of the other people that made a huge impact in my life, I already mentioned, was Jim Shetler. He was my pastor when I was in college. And he came over last week to see my mom. My parents were, well, I, this is not my opinion. He just said, there were some of my favorite church members, Rich. So he came to see my mom. Who's, and he's sitting at our house. And if you've ever heard Jim Shetler, he's just like, it was unbelievable. He's just Mr. Enthusiasm all the time. And he's like that in person. He's, he pulls up a chair in front of my mom. He's like, okay, Cookie, how are you doing? And I probably should sit up here so you can see it. So he's, she's in the chair, and he's like, it's so good to see you. Okay, Rich, Angela, that's my wife. Jen, my sister. Hey, come on, let's gather around. Okay, we're going to open up the Bible to Psalm 34. That's where you all were in your devotions this morning, right? Psalm 34. And he said, this is my favorite prayer promise in the Bible. It's not now it's my favorite psalm, but it's my favorite prayer promise. And... uh I mean, he, the man is the same in my house as he is if you've ever heard him in the pulpit, right? And so, or my mom's house. So he's going on and on. And I was thinking about it today. I wish you'd heard Psalm 34 the way we heard it last week. And what he'd do is he'd start the verse and then he'd have us finish it. And the neat thing is my mom's got early dementia, but he'd start the verse, I will bless, uh, let's see, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And my mom would finish it, you know? And he'd, he'd walk through it and he'd comment on, oh, as only he can. And I thought, these are, these are a couple of messages or messengers that God used to change my life. If I could leave you with anything, if you'd leave this camp with a commitment to read the Word of God every day and to develop a prayer life, you'll never be the same person. What could I possibly invest in you that would be more valuable? 
So I hope you'll dive into it with some gusto with me, all right? We're in uh, Luke chapter 11. Let's look at the first four verses. Luke 11. Came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. John also taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, let me give you a little overview here. We're going to spend time on the first four verses, which is a pattern for prayer. Okay, so if you want an outline, this is just an introduction of uh, really Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. The pattern for prayer, and that's where we'll spend our time. Then you have a parable regarding prayer in verses 5 through 8, and I love to preach on that. I'm not going to have time, I don't think, in this, this camp, but there's a parable regarding prayer. Oh, I remember that is another Shetler message. He said, today, I'm going to preach on the most important word in the Bible concerning prayer. And I thought, the most important? I mean, there are a lot of important words. What is the word? Importunity. That's a big word. Okay, and that's the parable concerning prayer, the parable regarding prayer in verses 5 through 8. And then you have some principles concerning prayer in verses 9 to 13. Principles concerning prayer. So there's a pattern uh, for prayer, there's a parable regarding prayer, and then there are principles concerning prayer. So that's kind of how this section lays out. Now we're just going to study the first part there, the pattern for prayer. And there are actually six key points in the pattern for prayer. I'll give you three tonight and three tomorrow morning, Lord willing. And so we're like, bummer, I'm not going to be here. Okay, see me afterward, I'll give you a, a little hint where we're going, okay? Anyway, so let's get into it. Lord, teach us to pray. Very interesting. So Jesus had just been praying. Now, Think of, you know, what's different when you're praying than when you're just walking or talking to people? How, uh, how might you know somebody's praying in our day? Talk to me. Give me some feedback. How might you know somebody's praying? Okay, somebody said bowing their head. Okay, yeah, somebody, some might pray without lift, uplifted hands, folded hands, whatever. Posture of prayer uh, hands might tell you. Okay, this is really interesting. I asked my kids when they were little, why do we close our eyes when we pray? Yeah, focus, because normally, my dad taught me, when you talk to people, you look them in the eyes. If you're not looking somebody in the eyes, they don't know if they've got your attention, and they don't know if you're important to them or not. So you look people in the eyes when you talk to them. Okay, so that's why when I'm preaching, I'm not just like, you're all like, hello, I'm down here. Okay, you want to look somebody in the eyes. But when we talk to God, God is invisible. God's a spirit. We don't see God. So how do you show reverence? Well, you, you close your eyes and pray. Now, my wife's dad used to pastor up in Iowa when she was a kid, Red Oak, Iowa. And she said, there was a lady, I'll spare her the name, and uh, they'd go out on soul winning on Thursday nights. And she said, Mrs. So-and-so used to pray with her eyes closed when she was driving. They'd start, okay, girls, we're going to pray. And then she'd start driving and she's praying, and dear God. And she said she'd be up on the sidewalks and she wiped out, she dropped her muffler one time and she hit a mailbox one time. And my father-in-law, wasn't my father-in-law then. He said, you kids are not going with Mrs. So-and-so anymore. Now, let me tell you, there is a time to watch and pray, lest you run over the mailbox, okay? So when I drove out here yesterday, I'm praying as I'm driving. I spent an hour praying, and I am definitely watching while I'm praying, okay? That, so you don't have to be closing your eyes when you pray, but customarily we close our eyes because we are blocking out distractions. They came to him, they said, hey, would you 
teach us to do that. He knew what they meant. Lord, teach us to pray. What is prayer? Prayer is communication directed to God. But prayer is not just talking. Hey, listen, I'm afraid some people pray a lot to the Lord like Charlie Brown's classroom heard Charlie Brown's teacher. What did Charlie Brown's teacher sound like? Wop, 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 wop. You all know that. Isn't that amazing? You know, I think a lot of prayer meetings sound like Charlie Brown's classroom. Wop, 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 wop. We're not just filling the room with words and saying, okay, I prayed. We're talking to God. Interesting, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. John also taught his disciples. Okay, that tells me prayer is a learned matter. That's one reason I like to preach on it. We need to know how to pray. I learned a lot of uh, how to pray in prayer meeting. Our church, like so many of yours, has prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. And, on, and I'd, I'd get alone with the men. We, they'd divide up men and women. So I'd, and we'd often get on our knees to pray. You know why we do that? <laughs> Interesting, we sing the song, Bow the Knee. How much of that do we actually do? And the word worship in the Bible has the idea of, of bowing the knee. If uh, Brother Dave Hardy wrote a book on worship, if you've never read it, it's really good. And the subject matter is bowing the knee before God. It's simply entitled worship, but the whole idea is bowing the knee. We just don't bow the knee enough before God. And so sometimes we would get on our knees before, you know, after the um, Bible study time on Wednesday night. And I quickly learned this. There were some men I could tell that Wednesday night was their prayer time. And there are other men I could tell they prayed all the time. And I learned to pray by being around the people who prayed. Imagine having Jesus Christ as your teacher. Hey, uh, Lord, would you teach us to do that? And they said, hey, John taught his disciples. Okay, you all interact with me here. What John is he referring to that must have taught his disciples? John the Baptist. So interesting, John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We talked today about being a disciple. Oh, that would have been a good trivia question. I define the word disciple for you today. A disciple is a what? A disciplined one. Yeah, a disciplined one. We need to discipline ourselves to pray. Okay? So they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so what Jesus gives here is an outline or a template for prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer, and you've probably heard your pastor say it's, it's technically the Lord's model prayer. Okay, He gave it as an outline for how to pray. He didn't intend for us just to recite this as a repeated thing all the time. You know, It's not like a little fetish like, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. No, it's, it's to teach us how to pray. In fact, Brother Pope pointed out in his seven-part series that the reason the Lord gave the model prayer, He was giving them an outline for how to pray an hour a day. Now, when an hour is not like, okay, start, go, okay, 60 minutes, I made it. You're not going to pray an hour a day if you're not praying 10 minutes a day. But I want to tell you, he, when he said to them, could you not watch me one hour? It ought to be natural for a Christian to pray an hour. It shouldn't be like, good night, we're going to have an hour-long prayer meeting? How are we going to do that? Let me tell you, you start getting burdens on your heart. You start really praying for people and seeing God answer you're going to be motivated to pray and you're going to realize your little five or ten minute prayer time that you used to have is not enough. I'm not trying to put a burden on you like, oh, if I don't pray an hour a day, I'm wretched. No, start with five minutes. I always love the manageable goals. Start simple and let it build from there, right? You don't come into the world a full-grown adult. Your mother is so glad. Okay, you don't come into the world eating steak and, you know, pizza and all that stuff. You, you develop with simple growth and maturity. Same in the Christian life. Start simple and grow from there. 
So, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, all right, here's how you do it. When you pray, you say, our Father, which art in heaven. Isn't it interesting? That's a noun of direct address. <clears throat> now, people will address you different ways. Like, um, technically, I'm Evangelist Tozer. That's wordy. Most people call me Brother Rich, okay? Um, my legal name is Richard Ronald Tozer Jr. So if somebody says, uh, is Richard there? I know, I know they're probably not my close friend because I'm rich to everybody else, okay? But Richard there? Yeah, oh, yes, this is Richard. Okay, uh, Mr. Tozer, I'm not Mr. Tozer to many people, okay? But I am addressed that way in some worlds. <clears throat> now my wife calls me honey. My kids call me dad, okay? So interesting. The When you come to God, isn't it amazing that he, he instructs us to address him as father? Now, I grew up in a church that wrongly taught a doctrine of the universal fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man. They said, God is everyone's father and we're all everyone's brother. Well, let me clarify something. God is not everyone's father. He said to some very religious Jews in his day, you're of your father the devil and the lust of your father you will do. That's in John chapter 8. Okay, what is he talking about? They're born sinners. You and I are not... We were all created by God. You should not have any prejudice in your heart. All men are precious to God. All men are created by God. Okay? That being true, we are not automatically children of God. You become a child of God. John 1.12, as many as received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Very interesting. That word, John, uh, word power in John 1.12 is like our term power of attorney. So my mom's in her final stages with cancer, and my two sisters and I have legal authority to act on her behalf. It's called power of attorney. Some of the adults would know about that. Okay, power means the legal right to do something. So when you trust Christ as your Savior, you have power. You have legal authority to become the sons of God. February 12, 1977, I told you my testimony this morning. That's when I legally became a child of God. I was born again. Okay, so once you know him as Savior, an amazing thing, he says, you address him as Father. Not King, not Boss, not General, not Commander, not Mr. President, Father. Well, I want to tell you something. Fellas, that ought to challenge every one of you. I think about this. My relationship to my daughters is so important, it actually affects their view of God. Some of you have a difficult time accepting God's love and forgiveness. Thanks, man. Uh, some of you have a, a difficult time accepting God's love and forgiveness because you've maybe been abused or forsaken by a father. Let me tell you, your heavenly father will never do that. Your heavenly father is the father you always wanted. But I want to tell you, every one of us men, we ought to be challenged by the thought that God, my kid's concept of God is being largely influenced by what I am as a dad. Okay. So I've prepped the ground here. Our Father, which art in heaven. You know, my, my kids have learned. They don't just come to me and say, Hey, Dad, can I have five bucks? <laughs> that doesn't go very well. But my girls, you know, sometimes they're pretty slick. They'll say, Hey, Dad, anybody ever tell you you're the greatest dad in the world? Do you happen to need something? Uh, we had an afterglow after church tonight. There was a pizza party. Could we maybe have $5? Okay, they kind of, they know how to work that. Hey, if that's true with me as an earthly dad, how much more important is you know the proper protocol to come before God? So here it is. First of all tonight, the, um, the six principles start with this. Praise to God. Praise to God. Notice there, our Father, which art in heaven, what's the next term? Hallowed be thy name. What does hallowed mean? Okay, bring praise to. What else? 
holy is tied in there. Hallowed is to be esteemed with, because of holiness. Yeah. It, it is to, to revere, to hold in highest regard. It's what? Sacred. That's good. Sacred. That'd be another way to describe it. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Praise to God. I want you to hold your place here. We are coming back to our text. Go with me to Psalm 100 tonight. Psalm 100. Okay, praise to God. I have noticed this. I've, I've made a um, habit over the years of studying the prayers in the Bible. And the, one of the reasons I do this, almost every night when I'm doing revival meetings, we have a pre-service prayer meeting. I ask the pastor if we can do this. And we will typically meet a half hour before the service starts. So most churches, a weeknight service would be 7 o'clock. So typically about 6.30, whoever can come, men, women, teens, whatever, we'll gather for a pre-service prayer meeting. And usually I'll give a devotional thought and then we'll break up and pray. Because I know this, it's not me that's going to do the work that week. I'm just the spokesperson. It's God who's going to do the work. And he said, without me, you can do what? And he also said, you have not because you what? Ask not, James 4.2. So we get together and we ask God to work in hearts. Okay, that pre-service prayer time. So I'm constantly studying prayer in the Bible. And I've noticed this. You go through the Old Testament, it is astounding how these people would glorify God, how they would extol God. You are the God who spoke the worlds into existence. You are the Most High. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're merciful and everlastingly gracious, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what? They're not just going on waxing eloquent about God. They're really saying, wow, what an awesome God you are. Okay, Psalm 100. So notice this, and many of you know this psalm by memory. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, not we ourselves. We're His people and the sheep of His pasture. Look at verse 4. Enter into His gates with what? Thanksgiving. And into His courts with? Praise. Be thankful unto Him and do what? Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. Okay, five verses. Very simple. Right above verse 1, there is a title for this psalm. What is the title of Psalm 100? Psalm of Praise. Well, I read that and I thought, okay, well, a lot of them there are psalms of praise. How many psalms are there in the book of Psalms? 150. Yeah, 150 of them. Interesting, you would think a lot of them would be entitled a psalm of praise. Well, guess what? This is the only one with that title. Now, there are other psalms of praise, but only this one has that title, a psalm of praise. I was listening to Brother Pope's message about that, and he was saying, you know, the reason for that was this was the song, and is believed, this was the song that the Jews would use as the, uh, would um, utilize as they would approach the house of worship. Originally, that was the tabernacle. Later on, it was the temple. And, and notice the phraseology. Enter into his gates, verse 4. Enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving. So it's like, uh, I remember years ago, visiting the um, replica of the tabernacle up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And, and all you kids that go to college at West Coast, I know it's Lancaster, California, but it's Lancaster, Pennsylvania, okay? So if you go up to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, they've got a facsimile of the, um, the, uh, the tabernacle that the Mennonites had put together. It's really fascinating. And there was a badger skin fence around the property. And so you literally, you'd come through the gate and you think, whoa, stop right there. Enter into his gates with Thanksgiving. So in other words, when you step on the property, you're just start thanking God. Oh, this is good. Put this in your notes. Thanksgiving and praise. Let me give you a definition. There, there is a slight but significant difference between thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving is expressing gratitude for what God has done. Praise is exalting God for who He is. 
I'll repeat that if you're taking notes. But I, more importantly than just writing it down, I want you to get the concept. Thanksgiving is expressing gratefulness for what God has done. You say, Lord, thank you for the nice Christmas gifts this week, or thank you that my dad didn't get fired, or thank you for healing my grandma from cancer, or thank you that dad didn't die with COVID, or thank you that I passed that test, or you know, thanking God for what he's done. Okay? Praise is a new level altogether. Praise is exalting God for who he is. Notice there's a degree of intimacy in praying here. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Now let me transition from the tabernacle and talk about the temple for a minute. Because when Solomon's temple was built, there was a progression of courts through which the men of Israel could go. There was the court of Gentiles, and even Gentile people could go that far. There was the court of women, and Jewish women could go that far. Then there was the court of Israel, and the, the men, the Jewish men could go there. Then there was the court of priests, only the priests could go there. And ultimately, the most sacred place in the temple was called the what? The Holy of Holies, okay? But I want you to notice this. So enter into his gates with thanksgiving. This is one of the areas I think this is why we're so inept in our praying. We are so deficient in praise and thanks. Have you ever heard the, the Baptist cliche? I think this is a Christian cliche. Lord, we'll be sure to give you the thanks and the praise. And honestly, I do a lot of listening and I don't hear a whole lot of thanks and praise. You know what the, the extent of our thanks typically is? What's the one thing we say when we start our prayers? Lord, thank you for this day. That's kind of like our launching pad into prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. And okay, if you did not say thank you for this day, could you start your prayer? Yeah, sure you could. But what else do you say besides thank you for this day? Usually it's kind of like, uh, let me tell you as a man, when you come home and your wife says, uh, well, so glad you're here. Here's the honeydew list. Oh, whoa, hello. You know, Nobody really wants to be hit with the list. Like, oh, hon, I'm so glad you're home. I love you. Let me give you a kiss. Oh, my favorite meal. You know, that'd be nice. And I do get that. But um, how about coming to God? And like, oh, Lord, thanks. Here's the list. Would you? And we wonder why we're not seeing effective answers to prayer. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Lord, you're so good. In fact, Lord, you're merciful. Oh, I think about how I deserve your judgment. Lord, you're incredibly patient. I think about the times I've lost patience with my wife or my kids. You never exhaust your patience for me. Lord, you are absolutely holy. And I think how it bugs me to see what's going on with wokeness in this world and wickedness in this world. If it bugs me, it's got to be. It's got to be tearing out your heart. Focus on the person of God. So, thanksgiving is expressing gratitude for what God's done. Praise is exalting God for who He is. Let me ask you, how's your prayer life? How's your praise life? Another reference to jot down, Hebrews 13, 15. Hebrews 13, verse 15. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Okay, what is the sacrifice of praise? You might think, <laughs> I mean, how much of a sacrifice is it to praise? I mean, how tough can it be? Well, apparently it's a big sacrifice because we don't hear a lot of it. You know why gold's considered a precious metal? You don't just find gold scattered on the pavement, right? You got to go dig it out. Praise is apparently a precious commodity because we don't hear a whole lot of it. Why is it the sacrifice of praise? Well, let me tell you something. Um, if it makes you uncomfortable to praise, then it's a sacrifice. Like if you're going through your change of voice, I kind of sound like that tonight, right? I feel like um, prepubescent again. So here I am going through, oh, how are you? 
<laughs> okay, so my, uh, I've got the, I've got the um, humidity working on my voice tonight. Okay, well, I want to tell you something. When you sing and your voice is going through changes and you go, uh, holy, 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 I think, oh, it's so embarrassing. Okay, listen, you should be good to sing in the choir. You should be good to sing a solo. You don't have to be good to sing in church. The Lord says He inhabits the praises of His people. That's why we joke about make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Because not everybody's gifted. If I got up and sang, it would not be a blessing like the Herbsters getting up and singing, right? Okay? I bless you by not singing in public, all right? But God wants to hear me sing. God wants to hear you sing. The sacrifice of praise. By the way, how about when Paul and Silas were whipped and beaten for freeing the demon-possessed girl of her demonic possession, and then they'd been preaching the gospel, and they were thrown in the innermost prison, and it's midnight. They had, they had been beaten with rods. It's like in uh, Singapore, they do public canings with uh, bamboo canes, and, and they beat them till their backs were blistered and bloody. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and what? Sang praises. Usually we praise God when something good happens. Grandma got home from the hospital. So-and-so had a baby. Praise God. Something good happened. We praise God. What were Paul and Silas praising about? Just because God's good even when circumstances weren't. That's the sacrifice of praise. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be where? In my mouth. Is that true? I hope so. Try it in your prayer life. It will amaze you. You know, it talks about lifting up holy hands. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey. People are very refined. We don't do a lot of hand lifting, you know, where I grew up. Try it in your prayer closet. Lord, you have been so good. Lord, I am such need right now. My kids asked me one time, Dad, did you ever preach without using your hands? They said, could you preach without using your hands? I don't know. I never tried. Because, you know, I want to put my whole being into it. I, I heard somebody say years ago, this was so good. Uh, in the 1800s, a preacher said, the reason the theaters are full and churches are empty is because actors are presenting fiction as if it were truth while preachers are presenting the truth as if it were fiction. You know, those, those actors become... I remember my cousin came to hear me one time and he's not saved. He had gone to Georgetown University and he came to see me preach one time and I was preaching on the four leprous men and, and my cousin Paul came to me afterward. He said, Rich, that was incredible. And I thought, thank God he's going to get saved. He said, it was like you meant every word you said. I said, Paul, it's because I do mean every word I said. So he had had some acting training in school and he knew that when you act, you just put yourself into it. Well, let me tell you something. This is no act up here. Every time I preach, I think about I'm preaching to people that have an eternal soul. Every single one of you is headed to heaven or hell when you die forever. This is no act. Think about this. When you praise, do you put your whole life into it? Do you put your whole sincerity into what you're saying before God? So the sacrifice of praise. That's praise to God. Let me give you a second one here. I call number two, petition for souls. All right, petition. I'm sorry I don't have a slide on this. P-E-T, like pet. Petition, okay? And then it's I T. I-O-N, petition. What is petition? When you petition somebody, what are you doing? You're asking, okay? I call number two, petition for souls. Petition for souls. So enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. That's in Psalm uh, 100. Now we're back in Luke 2. All right, so when you pray, I'm sorry, Luke 11. 
and verse 2. When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then what's the next request? Thy what? Thy kingdom come. Now, about the only time you and I ever hear the expression kingdom come is some action figures holding a gun, pointing at somebody, I'm going to blow them to kingdom come. What in the world does that mean, kingdom come? It's very interesting. I, uh, I remember doing a study on this. And there is a, there's kind of a dual reference, as there often is in the Bible, to the whole idea of the kingdom. Uh, you have references to the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Uh, Matthew often uses the expression, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the other gospel writers will use the kingdom of God. When I first started studying, and, and for some of you who are a little deeper into this stuff, I am dispensational in my approach to Scripture. I understand the Scripture dispensationally, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so I, I know that uh, Israel's not the church, the church is not Israel. They're, all of my eschatology is based on the fact that God is going to fulfill promises made to Israel. I understand all that. So I thought, well, Matthew's a very Jewish gospel. Maybe the kingdom of heaven references are, you know, the earthly kingdom, the rule of Christ. And maybe the kingdom of God is spiritual. In fact, here are some verses you might jot down. Um, petition for souls. Okay, what kingdom is referred to? Well, Matthew 4.23 speaks of the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 6.33, a lot of you know that one by memory. Seek ye first the what? Kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. Shall be added unto you. So that's Matthew 6.33. Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Luke 17, verses 20 and 21 say, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. The kingdom of God is within you. I looked at John 3 with you this morning. John 3.3 says this, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the what? Kingdom of God. Uh, Romans 14.17 says, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 6.9 says this, The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And 1 Corinthians 15.50 says, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So my first thought was, okay, well maybe the kingdom of heaven, that's the millennial kingdom. How many of you know, are familiar with the term the millennium? I'm not talking about, not millennials, okay, but the millennium. Millennium refers to what in Jesus, in Jesus' existence? What's he going to do? Rule and reign where? On earth for how long? A thousand years, right. Okay. So I thought, well, maybe kingdom of heaven, that's the, that's the reference to that kingdom. The kingdom of God is spiritual because he said the kingdom of God comes not with observation. You can't see it. Kingdom of God's within. Well, here's the problem. Sometimes Matthew uses term kingdom of heaven and the other gospel writers use kingdom of God. Sometimes they're used interchangeably. So you can't always cut and parse them nice and neat. And then somebody gave me this book called Living in Kingdom Come. It was by Vance Havner. And this is really good. Listen to this. And I know, you know, sometimes when somebody reads to you, you, you might fall into the Charlie Brown teacher mode here. Like, what? Too many words. Just listen. Long ago, God sent His Son to tell about the kingdom of God. First of all, He came to deal with sin. For it was sin that wrecked the first creation. He took our sins upon Him and died in our place. The kingdom came first in the person of the King Himself. When Jesus lived on earth, He said, the kingdom of God is within you, Luke 17, 21. He goes on to say later, in the meantime, the kingdom is the reign of God in the hearts of men who trust Christ as Savior and obey Him as Lord. It is a spiritual kingdom at present and cometh not with observation. It's not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And mind you, 
The righteousness comes before the peace and joy. It's not a do-it-yourself proposition. It's in the Holy Ghost. Nobody knows how many belong to the kingdom. Statistics don't help here. Plenty of church members do not belong, only the born-again, blood-washed children of God. Kingdom come is an invisible community now. Wherever men know and serve Christ, there is the kingdom. In that sense, the kingdom's already come. But in another sense, it is a coming kingdom when our Lord returns, and then it will be a visible kingdom. It is both kingdom come and kingdom coming. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we pray for it in the, in the conversion of souls now, but we also pray for it in the final coming when our Savior comes back to earth. You know, I think that's a good theological balance. Because when Jesus said, pray thy kingdom come, is he only talking to Jewish people about the coming future reign of the Lord on this earth? What's more important when you pray than the salvation of souls? Go with me to 1 Timothy 2. I want you to see verses 1-4 through tonight. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4. through And I'll quote it to you, but I want you to read it. Paul's writing to Timothy. He's training him to be in ministry. And he says, I will therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All right now, he tells you two categories of people to pray for. He says, I want you to pray for all men. I want you to pray for kings, for all that are in authority. So in other words, sovereigns. Pray for sovereigns, they're the leaders, and pray for sinners. And by the way, most sovereigns are sinners, okay? So pray for sovereigns, pray for sinners. He said pray for all men, and he tells you why. Pray for all men because he wants all men to be what? Saved. You ask me, do you think God wants everybody to be saved? Absolutely, he said so. Okay? He wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All right, so I'm going to pray for all men. I will tell you, one of the reasons I got saved in February 1977, my mom and dad had been praying for me. How many of you know that there was somebody praying for you before you came to Saving Faith? Yeah, I want to tell you something. This is a great statement about prayer. Sometimes people come and say, what do you do if your unsaved family members don't want you to talk to them about the Lord? They say, well, look, you know, don't push your religion on me. You know, I'm excited for you, but you know, hey, that's not for me. You say, look, I'm not, it's not Baptist versus your religion. It's you need to be born again. Okay, And you think, man, they won't let me talk to them. This is really good. You might jot this down. might be a good trivia question. When you can't talk to men about God, you can always talk to God about men. What do I mean by that? When you can't talk to men about God, you can always talk to God about men. You can always pray for the conversion of souls. I met a lady two years ago. I was up in um, Wisconsin. Um, Brookfield, Wisconsin, Brookside Baptist Church. And I had never been there before. And I talked about George Mueller. They had uh, 600, I'm sorry, the church had 600 people. George Mueller had prayed for 60 years for five different people to be saved. And uh, it took a year and a half before one of those was saved. And then it was another five years from that point before a second one got saved. Then it was another six years between those and a third one got saved. And then 36 years into this, he kept praying for the last two. He said, they're not converted. They show no interest in being, but I pray on. I look to God for the answer. They're not saved yet, but they will be. And he kept praying. And right before he died, who was it? A.J. Gordon. His good friend A.J. Gordon said to him, Mr. Mueller, is there ever anybody you prayed for and God didn't answer it? He said, oh yeah, I got a couple friends. He'd been praying at that point over 50 or 60 years. 
He said, I prayed every day for these two people to be saved. They're not converted. They show no interest in being. But he said, I pray on and look for the answer. They will be. And soon after that, Mueller died. And a lady came to Mr. Gordon. He was preaching in the church there in Bristol, England. And she said, you mentioned George Mueller praying for those men up to the time he died. She said, one of those two men was my uncle. And he was saved right after Mr. Mueller died. The other man was from Dublin, Ireland. He too was saved after Mueller died. The man had prayed over 60 years. And every one of those five came to saving faith. Lady came to me at this church in Wisconsin and she said, I got to tell you one. She said, I had heard that story. And she said, we prayed for my mom for 50 years, Brother Rich. And she said, she was a devout Roman Catholic. She was a very religious woman, but she didn't understand you must be born again. She's thinking that, you know, sacraments can get her to heaven. And she said, we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for her. She said, I, I never thought we'd see the day. My mother got saved at age 101. 101 years old. She said, every time we try to talk to her, she'd say, I'm fine. You know, you have your religion. Mom, it's not religion. You need a relationship with Christ. You must be born again. She said, I thought that would be the greatest answer to prayer I could give until my dad got saved. Brother Rich, he was 105 years old. <laughs> wow. When you can't talk to men about God, you can still talk to God about men. So I wonder this. I asked you how many of you, somebody prayed for you. You know that's one reason you got saved. So let me turn it around. Who might be in heaven because you pray for them? Every day I got some relatives. I pray, I pray for them. I think, man, my, my, I've got aunts and uncles that are in their 80s now. And I'll, you know, driving yesterday or I'll, often I'll be walking and Lord, I pray for Uncle so-and-so. I pray for man so-and-so. I pray for my cousins. I've been saying the same thing every day for years. Yeah, you know, I, I don't have time to preach the message this week, but I've been preaching one called Pesky Persistent Praying. And there are three pictures. Um, one is take another lap. It's the children of Israel walking around Jericho. Hold up them hands. It's Moses holding up the hands with the Amalekites. And keep knocking at the door. It's the parable here of the man that knocks at the door at midnight. Hold up them hands. Take another lap. Keep knocking at the door. Pesky Persistent Praying. You just keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. He say. Why do I have to keep at it? Because prayer is the reminder that we are going into a realm where only God has power and authority. When you pray, you're asking God to do what you cannot do, but you're saying, God, you can do it. You are able to do it. And I'm asking you to do it, God, because only you can do it. And when you pray, you're owning dependence upon God Almighty. And when you don't pray, you're saying you're fine with things just the way they are. So there's praise to God. There's petition for souls. I'll just finish with this tonight. There is purpose in life. Look at verse 2 in Luke 11. Thy kingdom come, then he says, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Okay, I call number three, purpose in life. 